Hey guys, stay tuned. After the episode, there's been an update on one of the killers that we talk about in today's episode. If you want to hear a little bit more about what that is, just stay a little bit after. Enjoy! Welcome to the Bad Taste Grimecast. Welcome! I am Janelle. I am Vicky. <laughs> and we are French today. <laughs> we'll put a little flavor on it. Um, no. <laughs> Je m'appelle Vicky. Je m'appelle Janelle. Yeah. <laughs> My name is... Where was this last episode? <laughs> God damn it. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. So, thanks for coming back and listening to us. Yeah. We're really appreciative. And if it's your first time listening to us... Thank you for choosing. Welcome in. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. A special welcome to you. (laughs) We're international Uh, here, so. All the languages. We we try to be. It's normally like a crash and burn situation. Well, on my side of things anyway, I'm the worst. (laughs) Do you remember those three years of Italian I took? Yeah. I barely do. Uh, okay, so this this week's episode, I think, is going to be real good. It's a, it's a little bit more of a personal episode, Yeah, I you're going to get to know us personally. Well, I'm not sure of. what this will say about us exactly, but yeah. you'll learn Ooh. something. <laughs> you'll learn not to listen to this anymore, no. <laughs> uh, but I guess we'll start off with some newsy yeah. things. Get so, newsy on it. do you watch... Dance Moms. I did. Not it was gonna lie. Like my guilty pleasure. Yeah. Like I, Wani's <laughs> Hulu. <laughs> I used his Hulu, and it just had like Dance Moms on it. He used to get real mad. At I me. turned it on specifically <laughs> just because Abby Lee. I wanted to smack in the face constantly. I know. Well, I just like watching and I people was just dance. Waiting for one of those mothers to oh, punch her. Oh, those Never honestly, happened. those mothers need to get slapped a little bit too. Everyone but that's needs okay. To slap once in their life. So, <laughs> Abby Lee Miller. Um, by the time this comes out, she should have surrendered to a California prison. She will be someone's bitch as soon as this comes out <laughs> for bankruptcy fraud. Um, she she quit Dance Moms in March, mm-hmm. and I think since then has just been dealing with like. And that's news. <laughs> that was timing. perfect fucking timing for this to come on. Oh my god! Sorry, guys. You can't predict the internet. No. Um, <laughs> uh, she was convicted of bankruptcy fraud last June. Um, so did she just like file for bankruptcy and then she wasn't bankrupt? She's like hiding money. That's what I'm assuming see. happened, right? Yeah. I didn't read too much in the, into how she, you know, got convicted or, like, yeah. what was leading to that. I'm not sure. Um, but she was convicted of bankruptcy fraud. Um, it just says that she requested a prison close to her home in California in lieu of serving her time in Pennsylvania where she committed the crime. Hmm. Interesting. Um, she was sentenced to a year in prison, followed by two years of probation. And 
the judge re- uh, granted her request to um, schedule her s- to turn herself in. Schedule herself to turn herself in. Um, she has to surrender by July twelfth, so she should have been in by now. Yeah, I would think, unless there's some crazy something that we'll have to come back and edit over later. <laughs> um, she. Yeah. Also has to pay $40,000 upon her release and Fuck. live somewhere approved by the probation officer until her probation is complete. Wow, they really fucking yeah. got her. She was supposed to go in June 30th, but she had knee surgery. So there's that. She's going to prepare herself for being on her knees the whole time. She's oh my god, Janelle! <laughs> Jeez! I went straight That's fucking there. too brutal. Uh, oh my you know god. what? That prison life. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I just wanted to briefly touch upon, because I know I posted this article um, a couple weeks ago, but Bill Cosby's rape trial is rescheduled for November. So yeah. heads up on that. We both read that as he's retired yeah. for rape. <laughs> it said retried, but we thought it said retired. He retired so we for rape. Hmm. Well, that's good to know, well, I guess. Good. He's, you know, yeah. he's done with the rape and... <laughs> Uh, Do you have anything else you wanted to uh, talk about before we jump into our episode today? No. If I can find my notes. Oh, God. (laughs) Last forever. (laughs) Okay. Well. Voiceover work, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) Yeah, right. The Foley work. Yeah. Do you want to go first this week? Uh, Sure. Mine's going to be a little too touching, so I might have to. Yeah. Yours might be real intense. Mine is going to be pretty well known. So what our theme for today is the really the first murder that got us interested My in true first crime. Murder. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's not say that. No. <laughs> um, so we're gonna it's like the first thing that really got us interested in in true crime. Okay. Mine and we granted uh, uh, granted we try not to like I well, I don't try to do like super, super well known, yeah. but in this case, because it was my like first interest, we're gonna. I'm just gonna do it. Yeah, just, we're gonna do it live. We can have one, <laughs> you know, one big yeah. guy. Yeah, one big guy. <laughs> and sure. this is a big. This guy. is a big guy. <laughs> so my pick, the first one that got me really interested in true crime, was John Wayne Gacy. Oh yeah, and. <laughs> I didn't really get interested in true crime, I think, until high school, really. Oh. Um, well, and this would have, this would have been right. So my freshman year, I took honors English. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Mr. Peters. Hey, I had um, too. Right? Yeah. Well, and it was so exciting to me because I felt like um, there was an opportunity basically for me to write a paper about whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And up until that point... You always had Sorry, to. I keep kicking this table and it's no, you're weird fine. squeaky noises. I feel like it doesn't make as many noises as we think it does on the mic in the Just recordings. Just hone in on it. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so a lot of times when you were like writing papers in high school, I always felt like um, you had to do this style paper on this general subject area, right. like on World War II or on mm-hmm. you know a topic under I don't know school violence or like whatever. So I was English was kind of like I when I orig- when I went into college originally I was in as an English major that was one of the things that I was really interested in and so it was really exciting for me to be able to to just it was literally write a research paper about whatever subject you want and I don't even remember why or how 
I started looking at, like, murderers, but because we live in the Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. um, John Wayne Gacy is one of those murderers that He's is... their number one draft pick for murderers. Number, the <laughs> number one draft pick. It's so true. And I mean, he's not even just well-known around here. It's like the... And he's one of the most well-known in the entire U.S., not to mention probably the world. Um, I'd say probably second to yeah. uh, Manson. Yeah. I mean, if you could... I'm sure if you ask people to name, like, five serial killers off the top of their head, one of them would be John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. Um I also remember when I was doing research for this paper in high school, back when they had um, vidiots. There, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure vidiots was still around. Oh there was a God. movie that I rented called. It was, I think, it was called Gacy Into the Crawl Space. Was it a documentary or no. like the? It was like a. Drama? It was like a. It was like based on, and it was. I don't know why I thought that would help from me. Fucking Pee Wee's Playhouse playing Gacy. Because there's a movie with the guy who plays the fucking fat yeah. kid in Pee Wee's Playhouse. It might have been. It might have been because it, I was like, I don't know and why I thought mortifying. that would help me, and it, but it was horrible. Like it was. It has to be. The yeah. Because yeah. all I could think about <laughs> while watching that, while watching him be John Wayne Gacy, was him going Pee Wee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my, my god. god. Well, and I, it's like, I have these images, too, of it's like this grimy old guy in a wife beater with, like, clown makeup on that's, like, wiped off in crazy directions. You know what I'm talking about, Sweaty from eating too yeah. much Italian beef. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, that's who I'm going to be talking about. So, let's jump right into it. Oh, I'm going to say, it. right off the bat, there are some things that I'm going to be skimming over because there is so fucking much to this case <laughs> that I just can't talk about all of it. But I'll it's try really and like an ep- hit on the big It's something things. you can make, like, 20 yeah. episodes about. There's a lot of ins <laughs> and outs and weird shit that happened in his life and mm-hmm. that happened during the investigation of the crimes. Like, you could do a, an episode on his life and then an episode on just the investigation and then an episode on the, tri- like, the court proceedings. Like, oh, there's yeah. so much stuff about this. So, John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago, Illinois on March 17th, 1942, and he was the son of uh, Danish and Polish parents. Gacy and his two sisters grew up with an extremely alcoholic and abusive father, and a lot of times they would just get merciless beatings for what he perceived to be the kids misbehaving. Gacy himself was constantly compared to his sisters as, like, not being good enough, or that he was dumb and stupid, like, compared to his sisters. So he had a lot of problems in his early life, in his childhood, Um, like trying to be good enough for his father. Uh, His entire life, he would regularly comment that he was never good enough for his dad. But later in interviews, he would say, I don't hate my father. Like, I don't Hmm. hate him for that. So sure. Yeah. Like, I don't hate my father. Yeah. Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was also an incident in his childhood where he was sexually molested by a family friend. It was like somebody who, I think it was like somebody who worked with his dad or something like that. And they would go on truck rides where the guy would molest Gacy Mm -hmm. um, when he was younger. Yeah. So unfortunate. Yeah. In school, of course, he also had a rough time because he suffered from 
a congenital heart condition. So he wasn't really allowed to like play normally with other Mm -hmm. kids in sports or like physical activity. He was really limited about like how he could interact with other kids. And of course him having this congenital heart failure also was um, like another failure of him that his father saw like, it made him not perfect yeah, like in his weak. father's eyes. Yeah, because he's the only he was the only male, right? Yeah, it was yeah. it was him and his father, his mother who was also receiving beatings, and then his two sisters that he was just like constantly compared yeah. to. So if you're the only male and you're acting like you know a pussy, even though you yeah. have no control over what your heart does, right? <laughs> right? I yeah, can, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, well, and he would. It's just like him constantly trying to do everything to please his father. Mm -hmm. In 1962, uh, Gacy left the family home and he went to go live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And he was able to find work as an, uh, with an ambulance service before they actually transferred him to work in the uh, mortuary as a mortuary attendant. And this is like the first, um, kind of weird encounter that Gacy has that I think shines a light into what would happen later. Yeah. Um, it takes a special person to work in mortuary services. Yeah. And he actually <laughs> would sleep on a cot behind the embalming room. So he I was... I thought you were going to say just sleep with the dead bodies. <laughs> well, hold on. Oh, God. Yeah. He just would cuddle up with yeah. the corpse. <laughs> he, um, he would sleep on a cot behind the embalming room, so he would be in the building watching... Um, a lot of these morticians like prepare bodies and see what they would do when they were preparing bodies. Um, later he actually confessed that one evening when he was alone at the mortuary, he climbed into the coffin of a deceased teenager and then he decided to fondle and caress the dead body. Um, in the middle of this, he kind of like found himself in this state of shock. Like he almost was in a trance and then came to immediately and was like, what the fuck? And jumped out of the coffin. Did he come to? Oh, horrible. (laughs) I'm just going to move on from that. I'm just going to move on from that one. No, God. Have any fun. (laughs) No, we're talking about fondling dead bodies. But it was corpse. Time and place. It was corpse and cuddle time. God. (laughs) Um, so he, he like finds himself in this state of shock. The next day he calls his mom and asks if he could be permitted to, to move back to the family house. Mm -hmm. And she said, yes. And that day he drove back from Las Vegas back to Chicago. He had only worked for that mortuary for three months. Yeah, so it was enough fondling. It was like, yeah, and well, and it seemed like something that he himself, like, he didn't know why he was doing it, what, you know, what could have possessed him to, like, want to do that, almost like he was just in a haze, Mm -hmm. it seemed like. Um, So following what I feel like I can safely say was a disaster in Las Vegas... Um, I mean, it's Las Vegas. Seeds there. Unless you're a stripper, what happens in Vegas? Um, He came back and he uh, Gacy enrolled in the Northwestern Business College. He graduated in 1963, and overall, I mean, he was like this successful. He was successful in his work life. Uh, He fell in love and married one of his coworkers. Mm -hmm. He was considered this respected member of the community. he was even the vice president of the Springfield JCs by 1965. 
Um, it's hard to believe that this guy would go on to be one of the most well-known serial killers, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, minus the corpse thing. I mean, minus being beaten, <laughs> touched, and yeah. touching. Hard to believe. <laughs> um, so Gacy actually committed his first known sexual assault in 1967 on a 15-year-old boy who was the son of another, like, a fellow member of the JCs, and he was able to lure this boy into his home, and this would actually be the first of a long string of molestations and rapes to multiple young men in the next uh, couple of months. Donald Voorhees was one of these victims, and he actually told his father of the assault, and his father immediately called the police. They did go and arrest uh, Gacy, but they couldn't really recover any conclusive evidence. Mm -hmm. So he was indicted on um, a sodomy charge. Well, while he was waiting for the trial to happen and everything to go through, he decided the best thing to do would be to try to scare Donald into not testifying against him in court. So he (laughs) hired another employee to physically assault Donald, to like kidnap him and physically assault him. Of course, course. Um, Not gonna work. Right. Of course, (laughs) that was reported to the police. And they immediately knew that Gacy was behind it. So he was convicted of the sodomy charge in 1968. For this, he received 10 years in prison at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. And it was at this point, too, that his first wife decided she kind of had enough of all the... uh, uh, disgusting crimes and stuff. weird goings on. Um, and so she divorced him. I don't know how he kept getting married. I just, yeah. I can't well, and this whole time he is like struggling with his sexuality, right. which is kind of a common theme in a lot of like serial killers. Mm-hmm. They're just like having this internal struggle with their sexuality. And a lot of times it's, I mean, even us, like, especially. Between the 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, early 90s, being gay or being interested in men is, like, this huge stigma from society. Like, you just don't. You just don't. Um, So he was, like, really struggling with that through all this, too. Just something to keep in mind. Um, He was sentenced to 10 years, but he was released after 18 months because they said he was, like, a model prisoner. He had joined the... um, the inmate chapter of the JCs. Why does that even exist? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Um, and actually, I don't know that J- the JCs are everywhere. So, like, for those of you that don't know, I don't know if they yeah. are or not. The JCs I mean, is like, um, it's almost like a Lions Club kind of organization. Yeah. Yeah, where they like do an Elks Lodge type deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of, like, community outreach. Yeah, it's a community and, service based. Yeah. I think it's pretty much midwestern i don't yeah i just it. thought about that as yeah i, I keep saying jc's jc's <laughs> once he was released from prison for the sodomy charge he immediately moved back to chicago from springfield he had gone to springfield and stayed down there moved back to chicago um after that and his like neighbors and friends were completely unaware that he had this previous criminal history so I he, mean, you don't go around telling people that you were jailed for sodomy. Right. <laughs> well, and so he was able to kind of, like, move back, make new friends and connections, and he was also able to remarry at this time, too. He found, oh. uh, he <laughs> found another wife. Found love in a hopeless place. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Again, so anyway. We need a button yeah, for yeah. that. <laughs> There's an app on you can get Stop. on your phone that's just that. Like, we should have an applause button. We should have I a know. boo button. Boo. And a burr, burr, burr. Yeah. <laughs> what is that even called? I don't even I, know. I don't know. <laughs> um. So the John Wayne Gacy that a lot of people, I think, like, when you say that name, the first image that pops into their heads is him dressed as Pogo the Clown. Right? It's okay. that creepy picture of him holding the balloons in the red clowns. and white. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. I fucking hate clowns. I, I never love, enjoyed clowns I when I was clowns. little. I was like, yeah. why is this person wearing fucking face paint? Like, <laughs> I just didn't get it. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And I this don't is back in the day when, like, they didn't understand, understand what cool clowns look like and not creepy clowns. They were all creepy clowns. I hate all clowns. I love circus clowns. I love creepy ICP clowns. ICP clowns. I hate them ICP all. ICP clowns. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a friend who are obsessed with clowns and I just don't fucking get it. Do you? I like, That's great. I just like them because they're super creepy. I just don't yeah. like clowns. <laughs> um, so this really would be when that kind of Pogo the Clown image starts. He... Would a lot of times he would dress up and go and entertain sick kids, and then he would like throw parties for his neighbors. Strange, strange. Yeah, and I think it was part of part of the JC's organization (laughs) Mm -hmm. is they would go to like children's hospitals and stuff like that. Um, Again, in this community in Chicago, he was decently successful in his work life. He started a decorating business in 1974 that was like a like a contractor's, which yeah. is kind of important um, that he owned this business for later on in the story. Um, and he was really active on the political front, too. He was active in the Democratic Party in the area. Again, it's really hard to believe this guy is going to kill a bunch of people, right? <laughs> um, not to mention that he was living a double life as a rapist and a murderer at this point in his life. So while all of this is happening, this is, I mean, you, people didn't know at the time. <laughs> yeah. People didn't know this was happening at the time, but while he's doing all this stuff behind closed doors, he's raping and murdering teenage yep. boys. Um, he confessed to his wife that he was bisexual and following that him and his wife got a divorce in, it was in 1976 was when they got a divorce. Shortly after she moved out of their house was when people started to report a stench coming from Mm. the house. Just a really awful smell. If we know anything by now, we know that if there's a smell coming from someone's house, there is a dead body. Yeah. It's no, it's not a meat market. Yeah. It's not a raccoon in your crawl space. The meat, the meat shop on the corner. Yeah. (laughs) It's a fucking dead body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kick the door in and fucking find it. Right. Because it's a dead body. Well, and... <laughs> I just kicked the table so hard. <laughs> she did. Uh, at the same time that people started smelling this around his house, there were, like, rumors that he was sexually molesting his teenage employees, oh, his, his like, yeah. te- male teenage employees, and... The business that he owned employed a lot of teenage males. Like, mm-hmm. it was primarily teenage males. I mean, the business that he got into is perfect for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would just go in and, like, remodel and contract places, so he just needed men to work, you know? Menly men. Menly men. <laughs> um, so, in late 1978, 15-year-old Robert Peast goes missing, and the police, re- uh, they receive information that right before he disappeared, uh, Robert was going to talk to a contractor named John Wayne Gacy about a potential job opportunity. And 
they decided to, um, they, they basically went and questioned him. He denied everything. There was a lot of weird shit that happened in this period. Like mm-hmm. he said he would go down to make a statement. And then when he did, it was like two o'clock in the morning and he was covered in mud and said he had gotten into a car accident. And then he goes and makes a statement saying he never saw them. The fuck? <laughs> yeah, there was, it was just like a lot of really weird shit that happened. Um, I guess if the weirder, the more convincing. I yeah, don't know. I don't know. Well, and after so after all of that, they decide to put him under surveillance. And after surveilling him for a while, they were able to obtain a search warrant um, because they discovered that two other boys, Gregory Godzik and John uh, Butkovich, um, who were also teenage employees of his had also disappeared. So they finally got the warrant to go and search his house. Mm-hmm. What they discovered when they go to search the house is three lime covered bodies in the crawl space. And Gacy would go on to point officers mm-hmm. to the precise locations of other bodies in the crawl space. Um, he had told them that he would lure the victims into his home either just for sex. He referred to a lot of them as like prostitutes mm-hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. Um, or with the promise of employment. And then he would strangle them. He also talked a lot about using the rope game. Yeah. Which had to do with tying, tying them up them. and see. It was like, here, let me tie you up and see if you can get out of it. Mm-hmm. Playing He a would game. do it on himself first. Yeah. And be like, see, it's real easy. You can get out of this. Because it was like his clown tricks. Yeah. And then he would actually legitimately tie a hard knot. The It was like a slip knot. The harder yeah. you try to pull it apart, the tighter it gets. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and so they would just like willingly get tied up basically and out. Yeah. Was kind of that was kind I of mean, it for them, I guess. A, it's kind of an intelligent ploy because yeah. it's like, well, he said I could do it. Well, and he especially when I you're dealing with younger teenage boys, we're mm-hmm. talking. And when I say younger teenage boys, we're talking like 15, 16 year olds. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not. I, they're still pretty gullible at that oh, stage yeah. too, you know. Um, and trusting, especially of this person who's like an upstanding member of society that people think, you know. Um, A total of 29 bodies of young boys were found on his property, um, and four more would be discovered in the Desplaines River nearby. Um, So total, they found 33 bodies. Um, He had confessed while they were searching for all of these bodies, but later he would actually recant that confession. Yeah, that happens. There was a lot of stuff that happened in trial. His his defense lawyers were trying to get an insanity plea, saying that he mm-hmm. like wasn't coherent at the time of the I mean, murders. But it's like he sounded can like you he had claim a that for split personality? You know yeah. What I mean? Well, and my thing is, is are you able to prove that for all thirty three right. bodies? Like, at what point does it just become like a? That's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he would be sentenced to death on March 19th, 1980, after the defense unsuccessfully tried to prove his insanity. Um, He stayed at the Maynard Correctional Center in Illinois for 14 years before they moved him down to Statesville in Joliet, um, which Statesville is kind of like... Their big boy prison. That's that's the big, (laughs) well-known prison in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, His last meal... Ready for this? Yeah. I'm always interested. Yeah. (laughs) His last meal was a deep, uh, a dozen deep fried shrimp, 
<laughs> a bucket of original recipe chicken from KFC, a, pr- a pound of fresh strawberries. One place I saw also said that he had like strawberry shortcake, so maybe it was like strawberries and pound cake, and french fries. And his last words were, kiss my ass. <laughs> um, but he was executed on May 10th, 1994. So thank God for that. But yeah, I mean, you can see why just on body count alone, but he was literally packing bodies into, his, into the crawl space yeah. under his house. I don't know why this spoke to me my freshman year in high school, but uh, this was, like, the one that I found the most interesting, I think, just because it is, like, so extreme. It's, like, oh, how yeah. does somebody... How nobody not... Like, nobody this? knew. Nobody knew. He... And, and well, and that's the thing um, with a lot of serial killers who have mental illness, which I, I definitely think he does. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say one way, either way, if it was psychopathy or, you know, or not, because that's a, it's a really weird distinction, but, mm-hmm. um, they're able to, to fool everybody around them into it's thinking nuts. they're one person. And that whole time he was kidnapping and raping and killing people and putting them under his house. And also doing charity work. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Well, and he was doing this while his wife was in the house, too, Is before Which she moved out. blows my it mind. It wasn't like... She's like, I had no idea. Yeah. You don't... You have no idea that yeah. your husband's, like... It had no bearing on her moving out. She didn't know when she moved out that he was putting bodies in the house, in the crawl space. Like, this was happening while she was there, too. Ugh. Because you don't just, like, accumulate so 33 bodies overnight. I'm so hard to believe, because... I know. She said... I remember a statement saying that she found gay porno mags in his room. And yeah. it's like, she knew that there was something... Something going on. Yeah. To the extent... Yeah. We don't know. But, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's some crazy shit. Fucking Gacy. I know, man. It's kind of funny. We both picked Illinois murders. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think there's something about, like, something that happens in the state that you grew up in. Yeah. You know, nearby. These are both kind of, like, nearby. Real nearby. Your, yours is a lot more Super nearby, nearby than mine. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I started thinking about this, and I'm like, oh, you know, I was really obsessed with Jack the Ripper when I was 16, and, you know, I used to watch, like, Tales from the Crypt, and I remember going to fucking borders and buying the serial killer encyclopedia when yeah. I had my first job. I was like, yeah. I'm fucking buying. <laughs> and then I'm like, but you know, that's, that's not where it started. Yeah. And so I was thinking back, like, like we used to watch like America's most wanted mm-hmm. and we were really big unsolved into mysteries. unsolved mysteries. Yeah. That was my fucking shit when I was eight. Like, mm-hmm. which you should never let an eight year old <laughs> watch that. Yeah. Zero parental guidance in my house, in case you didn't know. (laughs) Um, But the first murder I distinctly remember, because I was actually terrified that I was going to be killed. Oh, gosh. um, Was the murder of Brittany Martinez. Um, She was from Elgin, Illinois, which I grew up there. Uh, Where she lived was actually not that far from where our house was. So it kind of hit home because she was 11 and I was just about to turn 11. Same age. We lived in the same area and it was just, it was mortifying for me. So this is, yeah, this was my first 
Wow, yeah. Um, so, like I said... Real um, close to home. Like, way too close to home. Um, Brittany Martinez was 11. Uh, she disappeared from her front yard of her uh, house in Elgin, Illinois, in May of 1997. So just to put that into perspective... You would have been I was eight 10. years? No, nope. I was 10 going ten on 11. Old? Jesus Christ. We were the yeah. same fucking age. I was born in 87. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, so she vanished on May 8th. So this is like the end of the school year. Um, there's actually a really, really good episode of uh, the FBI Files. Oh, I love um, that It's show. on Hulu right now if you have it. I'm yeah. not sure about Amazon or Netflix, but it's you episode... Find some of those on YouTube, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Episode 4, Season 4 of the FBI Files, it's called A Family Torn. Um, it's about this case. I didn't even know there was an episode about it. Wow. And when I was doing my research, I was pulling up old um, articles from the Chicago Tribune. Yeah. And they had mentioned uh, it was 2000, uh, right after the man who killed her was convicted, they put an episode out about this. And wow. I watched it last night, actually, because I didn't even know it nice. existed. Yeah. I got so excited. I was like, I oh love my God. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel like I absorb information a little better when I'm like watching a documentary mm-hmm. than trying to read a bunch of it. So that is really But cool. I also found myself yelling at the TV. And I was like, that's <laughs> not what happened. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> They are a little dramatic. In typical Janelle yeah. fashion, I scream at the TV. <laughs> You're wrong. Um, so that day was like that was like the end of the school year. Um, I remember this because where they found her body was close to a park in Union, where we had our end of the school year picnic, mm-hmm. and literally her body was in a sandbar yards away from where we were playing. Oh yeah, well, and that park. Is the same park I have been going to since I was a kid. We did, like you said, a lot of class picnics up there. I would ride my bike up there with my friends. We would go play in the river that goes through there. Like, we, you would go back and walk down and we would just be wading through the river for like three hours. I've played in the Kishwaukee. Yeah. Innumerable times. Yeah. It's just, oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> Getting back to the story. You'll just hear all these little gems about mm-hmm. our local spots. Yeah. Um, so she vanished from her front yard. They, I mean, like, she had gotten back from a class trip with her mother. Her mother sh- had chaperoned it. Um, she went into the house to feed her little brother and she wanted to stay outside and play some more. And she had asked her mother, can I go to the park? Which was just literally a block. You could see it from the house. It's mm-hmm. a huge park. It's very, like, in a nice area. So it's not like you would think she would be getting abducted or whatever. Right, um, yeah. So she went to play. Her mother said be back by 6.30. Um, and her mother had went down the street, three or four houses down, to their aunt's house. And she was there until uh, 6.20, I think. Okay. And walked back to the house. And Brittany was not home yet. The upstairs neighbor said, oh, yeah, she stopped, got her bike, and said she was riding back down there. Well... She had never gotten to the house. When they went back in, they found that her bike had actually been put back downstairs and it was unlocked. Oh. So that was a little weird because yeah. the neighbor had seen her. He helped her carry it up the stairs because it was a big, heavy bike. Right. And and those, the apartment complex that she lives in, those houses are actually, it's basically a house that they divide oh, into, yeah. they have into like the two stairs apartments. Side up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the basement was for storage for the people who lived there. You okay. wanted to put a bicycle down there, or if you had some extra, you know, boxes or yeah. whatever. Both so there's like people. a community yeah. storage for the So unit. she would put her bike down there, and she always locked it to the staircase. Well, it was unlocked, 
And so it kind of was weird because she always needed help carrying it up and down the stairs, and she always locked it. Mm -hmm. So obviously she had left and come back, and somebody helped her bring it down the stairs. Um, So it was a little weird. So her mother called the police. Um, They had a search party go out and look for her. Um, They went back to the uh, Illinois Park Elementary School and, you know, thought, well, maybe she went back there. They checked with her friends. They checked at the park again. And they could not find her. Uh, So the next day, she was still missing. They they brought out the big guns. They put a helicopter out. They put a a bunch of search dogs. And they reported her missing to the police, like, right away, right? Okay. so she didn't come home at 6.30. They looked for her themselves for an hour, and then they called the police yeah. to get assistance. Okay. Yeah. Um, because she was only 11 years old. Right. Um, and, you know, the first thought was, like, well, did she run away? Um, and it's like, no. She left her bike here, which was her prized possession, mm-hmm. and she didn't lock it up. Like, something's weird. This isn't yeah. normal. Well, in 97 would have been... After things like Johnny Gosh happened, mm-hmm. and Adam a lot Walsh. of um, Amber—I forget what her last name is—but but the, the, the Amber Alert, yeah. yeah. So there was there's a lot of these young children kidnappings happening, mm-hmm. and I think that helped them almost in this situation mm-hmm. because the police probably took it more. It sounds like took it more seriously oh, yeah, sure. than they would have maybe even five years before. You know, and it's just um, this is probably why it. I remember it so vividly because mm-hmm. when she went missing, everyone panicked. That I mean, that's close to home. My right. dad was still working in Elgin at the time. I mean, we had moved away, but we still had friends and family that lived in Elgin. Mm-hmm. It it was a terrifying time for you to have kids that age because right. I mean, I don't know what it was about the mid nineties, but. Kids were getting abducted left and right. Yeah. I was almost abducted when I was eight out Mm -hmm. of a Walmart. I've told that story before. Yeah. Uh, My brothers, some guy in a van, approached them. And they were like, fuck no, and, like, ran away. Like, it's... People think that it doesn't happen, like, in small towns, and it's not something that's really common. It's always more likely to happen in small towns, because people are very trusting of your neighbors and the people around you. And kids just don't know... They can't tell the signs. They can't tell the signs. They don't know when to tell adults mm-hmm. that they saw something creepy I because think- it's almost like I will. They don't know the difference between getting in trouble for something they did and mm-hmm. telling an adult about something weird yeah. because they feel like they might get in trouble for like not going with that person exactly. or whatever. I feel like because of my interest in true crime and things like that, I think it made me more aware. Yeah. To what what to watch, whereas a lot of kids like I grew up in a. I mean, Elgin's a pretty big city. Yeah. And I moved to a small town. Right. Uh, to go from a big city to a small town to have that perspective, I noticed weird things before kids that have lived in a small town their whole life Oh, did. yeah, totally. Well, and honestly, Elgin is one of those towns that has areas that are not the greatest areas. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so... And at that time, it was... In the 90s, it was... It was pretty bad. That's why we moved away from there, because there were kids that were shooting each other and stabbing teachers with pencils. And it was... It was a fucked time to be an Elgin. Yeah. Um, now it's great. It's it's turned into a beautiful, very well-developed. Oh, yeah. Definitely, like, gentrifying uh, a lot oh, of it, yeah. I think. Uh, very arts-oriented. Yes. Um, but, fuck, that time? Yeah. No, it was bad. I do not blame your parents for moving mm, at no, all. No, <laughs> I don't either. I think I'd probably be 
in jail or something yeah. terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> Elgin was not good at the time. <laughs> um, so what wound up happening is they went days without finding her. So she disappeared on the 8th. And on May 17th, two canoeists were... Um, canoeists? Can- canoeists, that's is a that, word. Is that an actual word? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, two new canoeists uh, were canoeing down the Kishwaukee River, which um, by us it's kind of small, but once yeah. you get towards like Rockford, it turns into this huge rushing river. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of nice. It's good for It's a nice to, you know, oh yeah, or to just, you know, get on a donut and just uh, down the river. Yes. We did that a couple times. Nice. Um, so it's a good area to start, you know, your canoe trip. So they were starting their canoe trip and they came upon a sandbar the kish is very windy, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a sandbar in the middle, and they saw a girl's body, and it was Brittany Martinez. Now, when they came upon her body, she had no shirt on, and her pants were on, but inside out, no shoes. Oh, weird. Just socks. Yeah. Her mouth was taped with a 12-inch piece of scotch tape. Oh, my gosh. She was horribly decomposed. I mean... I'm going to get graphic here. She was covered in maggots. Yeah. Like, head to toe covered in maggots. Yeah. Um, They they couldn't recognize her, but they thought it was her because some of the stuff that she had left on that she was wearing sounded like the description. Well, I'm sure the timing of it, too, having this missing little girl. So they called the police. They came and started their investigation, and they could not identify her from just looking at her. So they had to do dental records, and it was her definitively through the dental records. Yeah. But they had to wait days. The family was like, if you watch that episode of the FBI Files, the mother is interviewed and she's like, the entire time I was thinking, this can't be my daughter, this can't be my daughter. But at the same time, I was thinking, well, if it's not my daughter, it's someone else's daughter. So you're right. going back and forth between this like hope and guilt yeah. of, I don't want it to be my daughter, but if it's not her, then someone else's child is dead too. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a fucked situation, but it wound up being her... Right off the bat, they started to look at local child molesters and things like that. There was a guy who had lived, this is going to sound horrible, he lived in a van down by the river, the Fox River. Oh my god. He was homeless and he was a convicted. Literally in a he van, was down, in a by van down by the Come river. Come on, society. I know, I was just like, <laughs> like what the hell? Oh, he lived god. on the Fox River in his van and they picked him up first, but he was not in the area at the time. And then they started to kind of work their timeline. They were like, okay, well, who saw her last? They know that the neighbor had seen her. And then it, they had just talked with other family members who were in the area, and her uncle, Edward Milka, with a horrible name, <laughs> um, was like, yeah, I actually saw Brittany riding her bike down to, you know, my sister's house. Yeah. My aunt. And they were like, okay. So they kind of started, you know, talking to him, other family members. But... They kind of got stuck on him because he was saying some really weird shit. And let me explain. Uh, <laughs> it's just really weird. Me, let me explain. <laughs> so Edward Milka was 21. He um, had some mental issues. Uh, he had the mental capacity of a 10-year-old boy. Okay. And his IQ was 80. Wow. So, like... Yeah. I really, think it's what, like six, 60 is... Like mentally retarded. That's like I you, think. Need, you need assistance. Yeah, you literally can't function. He was barely functioning. Yeah, he had a job, but he couldn't keep a job because he was constantly, you know, like really tense and 
just couldn't grasp things and you would get really frustrated. Sure, right. Um, so they brought him in for an interview um, and they had discovered that he was the last person to see her alive through, you know, kind of going back to the timeline. Um, he, he said some weird shit. Okay. So they focused on him. He was like a janitor at a lawyer's office and even like even people in his own family, his lawyer, they described him as mentally challenged. So okay. they knew they were working with someone who had some issues. Um, and they sat down and took a statement from him. And he told the police that he saw his niece in front of the building on his way to his aunt's house, uh, on her the way to her aunt's house. And then they were like, okay, well, you know, we're going to schedule another interview, come back. So three days later, they had him come back. And this was still before... Like, she had not been discovered yet. Okay. So, this is why they he was the number one suspect. Oh, boy. Um, he said, he gave, like, a vision statement. So, I don't even if you know what a vision statement is. No. But I've never vision, heard of that before. A vision statement is when someone thinks that they see something. So, it's a lot of times, like, what people say, like, you know, um, oh. uh, clairvoyant people or, like, okay. a, if like they have the words vision escaping of... Me. They have a vision of a crime scene, okay. right? So he gave yeah. his he gave a vision statement to the police, and it said that he would find they would find his niece somewhere cold, wet, and not too far from here, and she was in a lot of pain. Oh God! Okay, so if you think about that, when they actually found her, she was in the Kishwaukee River. Yeah, um, she had been pretty beaten. They had discovered that she was actually. Um, asphyxiated, like, choked to death, basically. She was sexually assaulted. So, there's the pain part, the cold, the wet. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna put up an article, it's a very, very detailed article, um, about the court proceedings and everything. Mm -hmm. There is a part in that article, again, this is gonna get graphic, I'm so sorry, um, that said that when the canoeists had discovered her, she was covered in bugs, obviously, um, but when they looked at her face... Her face was open as if she had been screaming. Oh, my God. And it God. was stuck in that position with the tape over it. That statement, I almost started crying. I was Jesus. like... Jesus. It just... All of these emotions flooded back, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. That's that could crazy. be anyone's child. Anyone's yeah. child. And it just... Oh, my God. That struck me in such a way that I actually oh had God. to... I had to stop for a minute and right. walk away yeah. from my research because it was just... <clears throat> it was too fucking much for me. So, he he said that, and then he refused to give samples of his blood or his DNA or anything. That's not suspicious. So, right <laughs> off the bat, he's like, because what he said was, I'm offended that you would even ask me to give samples. I feel like if you're innocent, those are the people who are like, yeah, I'll totally exactly. take what you want. I'll take a lie detector, <sighs> have my DNA, like, do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So... That happened. And um, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, fuck to no. And they got a court order forcing him to give his DNA evidence. Yeah. Um, so what they did was they basically arrested him on circumstantial evidence. So they took his DNA and they searched his car mm-hmm. and they searched his residence. Well, in his car, there was blood droplets from Brittany that was tested. That was her DNA. That was her blood. Um there was also carpet fibers that were found on her body that matched the carpet fibers of his car. Well, if you listen to our forensics episode, uh, um, science, 
That's a bullshit. Okay. <laughs> Straight bullshit. Yeah. They found the uh, carpet fiber on the inside of her pants, okay. which is actually technically the outside of her pants because her pants were put on inside out. Okay. So, she could have been in his car, what, 10 days ago, however many days ago, yeah. entwined into your jeans. Yeah. Totally plausible. Especially because he used to take her to school every once in a while. Um, she was also known to have nosebleeds, so those okay. blood droplets could have been a nosebleed. Yeah. You don't know. They found, um, I guess she had a Coca-Cola cup with her when she was last seen, oh, okay. and there was a co- an empty Coke cup uh, with her fingerprints on it. Yeah, that's kind of like... Yeah. If you know anything about kids, they'll leave trash everywhere and anywhere. Yeah. They're pretty consistent with what they drink. Could have been a different cup from a different yeah. time. You don't know. There's all circumstantial evidence. Well, it's not like all I bullshit. haven't seen trash, like, floating down the kish either. Oh, you yeah. Know? Like- exactly. So, I mean, yes... Her fingerprints and her blood were in his car, and the carpet fibers from the car matched. Well, anyone with that fucking car would have the exact same carpet fibers. Yeah. Even a different make and model could still have the exact same carpet. Well, especially if it's just visually comparing them. Exactly, and it was just a visual comparison. Yeah. They go into it a little bit in that uh, FBI Files episode of the visual comparison of the... Did they do that thing where they show the slides side by yep. side and they're moving the one yep. to get it and to they're lined like, up? Uh, and then it's like out of focus, but boom. then they get it right into focus. And you're like, out of focus a, a little bit, but then back in. Fucking match. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, let me put an orange string next to an orange string. Yep, that's a match. And then they have one of those green stamps that they stamp on top of both of them that say mm. match. It's like, boom, boom, it's a fucking match. And then the law and order music just, plays. No. Fucking convicted. Um, <laughs> oh my god. So they arrested him based on the circumstantial evidence, but they were like super tight-lipped about this. They didn't release it to the public, and not even all of the family members knew. That they were holding him. Really? So it, that's why the episode is called The Family Torn. Because what wound up happening was half, like, half of his family believed he was innocent. And ha- the other half of the family thought he was fucking... He was guilty. He was guilty. Yeah. Because, so, Brittany was from his sister's first marriage. And there was a lot of issues with that marriage. Um, her father was an alcoholic and not a good man. And so that's why they divorced. Um, but there was also kind of this, like, consensus that she was, like, for a lack of a better word, just, like, a bastard. Oh, um, yeah. In a sense, and, like, kind of left out. Sure. Um, so half the family kind of saw it that way, like, she was just an, an extra child, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, from a failed marriage. Like, something that was, you know, should have been forgotten about. But then the other half of the family was like, no, this is, you know, this is our niece. This is our granddaughter. This right. is our cousin. Yeah. Uh, so there was, that's why there was a little bit of contention when they, you know, eventually found out that he was being convicted for her murder because it was really like, oh, well, he didn't like his niece. So totally yeah. plausible. Whereas other half of the family's like, no, that's not how it was at all. Yeah. Um... So it was, ugh, God. So they convicted him basically based upon that evidence that they had found in the car with the carpet fibers and the blood. And I just don't even understand how that happened because how can you convict someone? I mean, I totally, evidence? I understand how it happens because it happens a lot more often than I would like to think it does. But I like, I'm, I am completely aware that people, <laughs> honestly, people get convicted, convicted on less, like people get yeah. convicted on false testimony and that's it like with zero evidence so like that does not surprise me at all that would have i mean taken you know it did take a very long time for them 
to get him convicted. I mean, he wasn't sentenced until 2000, and she was murdered in 1997. Yeah. So it was a very, very long process. They took their time. But basically, they just convicted him on circumstantial evidence. They threw out his little vision statement because they was found that he was mentally incapable of making a statement like that. Which to me says, then how can you convict someone who mentally cannot confess, but still... It just... The whole thing didn't make sense to me. Part of me believes that maybe he didn't do it. And part of me is like, well, I mean, anyone is capable yeah. of anything. But the way in which they investigated this case was just fucked from the start. Yeah. They were so adamant about jumping on someone straight from the get-go that they were just like, whatever, six. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because their immediate thought was child molester. They went and investigated that, and then they investigated him, and that was it. Yeah. He basically was the number one suspect from the beginning. Um, I mean, generally speaking, in in cases like this, yes, it usually is a family member before it is a stranger. Right. Um, but you have to also think about this is the fucking 90s, and yeah. what do we know about the 90s? It yeah. was fucked for oh, children yeah. under the age of 16. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I'm think- it's it's interesting, because um, I was just watching, because I had not seen it yet, mm-hmm. uh, Paradise Lost, about the West Memphis Three. Yeah. And <sighs> this, it's really interesting to me, because I'm seeing a lot of similarities between uh, one of the boys that was convicted, I forget what his name is, mm-hmm. um, had an IQ of, it was like 76, And he's I the one that say. confessed. And he confessed... And then recanted, basically, mm-hmm. saying that was a coerced confession. Yeah. So I think it's easy. And the same thing with that. Like, they didn't have any physical evidence. It was one of those situations where they thought it was a cult murder, mm-hmm. um, which it was not. And it was... Basically, they needed to pin it on somebody. And somebody who has a low IQ and doesn't really isn't able to comprehend what is happening is easy to convict people like that. Oh yeah. It is. And I mean, this statement, I feel like their vision, the vision statement he gave was coerced for sure. Yeah. Because when you, I'm telling you have to watch the FBI files about this. Okay. When the police officer who was investigating this said, can you just tell me where you think yeah. She is. And that is such a tricky From thing. From that right there, yeah. if you're a person who is of maybe an okay intelligence level, you would know to be like, yeah, no. I'm not going to touch that statement. Because no. every time the police take that those things where it's like, what do you ploy. think happened? What do you think the murderer, why do you think the person who did this did what they did? Why yeah. do you think this? What do you think happened? That is bait. This? They're baiting you oh, to yeah, make totally. a statement. So that's where the vision statement came from. And just listening to that police officer say that, and I was like, oh, that's yeah. a coerced statement if ever I heard one. Yeah. Um. So please watch that episode. It's go- okay. I mean, it's it's very 90s. It's a 90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, show. totally. Um, but it, it hits on some points and brings up some stuff yeah. where you're like, oh, this sounds a little bit fishy. So he was he was convicted, um, but it was a little weird. So he was acquitted of second his second charge of first-degree murder, but they – what did they convict him on officially? It wasn't first-degree. It was – Something else. They convicted him on a different murder charge. They charged him twice, basically. Okay. Um, 
But because of circumstantial evidence, he was not convicted on first-degree murder. It was something else. Yeah. Um, I should have wrote that down, but I didn't. It wasn't, like, um, first- and second-degree murder, was it? It might have been. Yeah, because a lot been. of times they'll do that. They'll tack mm-hmm. on multiple murder charges, basically allowing them to charge for what might work. Yeah. You get, you, it lets them charge you for a multitude of things, basically, to yeah. see what sticks. And I think with first-degree murder, you have to have a little bit more substantial evidence yeah. in order to get a conviction for that. Yeah. Um, so it, it actually took them 12 hours to deliberate the case, which is a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty good time for a deliberation. They addressed the first-degree murder charge first, and they read, like, the, there's, I'm gonna put these court documents up, because it's yeah. really fascinating to read. Um, the court document read, when the not guilty verdict was announced. Milka raised his hand uh, with a clenched fish and shook them in the air in an apparent celebration. And someone out in the back of the courtroom yelled, yes. <laughs> but as the judge began to read the second verdict, Milka's hands and head dropped and uh, he began to weep along with his mother and sister. Um, he was convicted. Oh, uh, guilty. So a, little, a little premature <laughs> yeah. celebration. Real Oops. premature. <laughs> Uh, so he actually wasn't convicted, um, until August 17th of 2000, and he was sentenced to 75 years in jail. For second degree murder? I believe it was second degree murder. Oh, that's the one that you forgot. Um, he was, yeah, 75 years in jail. Uh, but I don't think he has a chance for parole, um, so he will have to actually... Now, do you know if he's trying to appeal his case at all? Um, there, or if yeah, there is an article with, like, about innocence projects or anything. Uh, they're not working the innocence project. I know there was an article from two thousand and six about an appeals process. I didn't mm-hmm. really go into that um, too much. I was because it's such a small town murder. Um, there was I did have a little difficult time finding. Oh yeah, finding I some it. stuff. So I had to really dig for some. I had to like go on actual newspaper website yeah. and look up dates specifically. Oh, um, you just reminded me of something I was going to bring for oh. a recording. <laughs> I have to remember for next time. Okay. It'll be a, it'll be a fun <laughs> surprise when I found out something really cool. Ooh. ooh Sorry. Ooh, excited. No. So I didn't really go into yeah. the appeals process too much. I mean, he was 20... Okay. He was 21 when he was convicted. So he was 24 when he went to jail and he's serving a 75-year sentence. So he'll be pretty fucking old yeah. when he gets out, if he gets out. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if he has, so has he, like, maintained his innocence, I'm assuming, or is he... (sighs) See, there's not too much on that either. I mean, he didn't say that he did it. Because that's a problem, like, when you're looking at... Necessarily, yeah. A lot of these people who are wrongfully convicted or Mm -hmm. claim they have a case for being exonerated are people that maintain their innocence the entire time mm-hmm. um for the most part i mean there are some cases with like coerced confessions when they were convicted when they were younger kids or whatever um and that's part of the problem too is if you are convicted and you are innocent and you continue to maintain your innocence you will not be paroled because in order you, to be paroled you yeah, have yeah, to show remorse, remorse <laughs> for your crimes yeah. but if you didn't commit the crimes how are you supposed to show remorse, remorse for something yeah you and then do? there's also so um, i think what happened in the west memphis 3 with that statement uh, there is a way where you can get around that where you can maintain your innocence but say that you're guilty um, I forget yeah, what it's Yeah, it's uh, an uh, Alfred plea. Yeah, is what an it's Alfred called. plea. Yeah. So there is that. I mean, that is, which yeah. <laughs> to me is like, 
what's the fucking point? You yeah. know what I mean? And that's, it's a tricky thing too. That's, I think what a lot of exonerees have found now, um, is with the Alfred pleas, it's like, it's like, it's a double edged sword. Really. Yeah. So basically that happens when you feel like the prosecution has enough evidence to be able to convict you rather than going through another trial if the trial is overturned yeah um rather than going through another trial you can plead guilty and a lot of times will be you'll receive time served Mm -hmm. um the problem is is that you aren't exonerated of your crimes it's not you're not so it's it's you're not pleading guilty but you're also not being exonerated so you'll still have that on your record you'll still have you know felony charges or whatever on your record when you go to apply for jobs or apply for loans or anything it's still going to be on there and that's what a lot of people fucked up part about it have you know so you can you're basically keeping your conscience but saying that you're legally guilty yeah it's, it's so dumb. it's unfair and it's stupid and it shouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean that was that was the murder that really got man. Me that one is like super close it's to heavy home and too. Super close to home. And yeah, it's like you can put yourself in her shoes. It's just it's mortifying. I just don't know how I feel about um, you know the verdict or if he really did it or not. I mean, to me, yeah. that's it's tricky. It's it's, it's and it's hard so to tell. Difficult to tell. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those are, I guess, the two that really got us into true crime. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like if, um, I I would love to hear what you guys, like, what was your first, like, true crime. My first murder. Let's do it. (laughs) True crime interest. You can email them to us at badtastecrimecast.com or hit us up on any social media, um, on Twitter Twitter. at Cast. Um, Instagram. Instagram. Facebook. I, I like to put some real fucked up yeah. shit on our Instagram, so check it out. Yeah, we do have, you can submit something on the website. Yeah. Lots of places where you can let if us If you know. have a nice little picture you want us to put up, um, yeah. like some fan art or, you know, something cool you made. Fan art? Do people do fan art for True Crime? Podcasts? Oh, yeah. That's weird. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I mean, I'd be cool to get some people actually, to get something. I'm going to be going to a la- the last podcast on the left show. Nice. Um, in Milwaukee in a little bit. And, um, did they you have, did you do fan art for a podcast? No, I oh, did not. Okay. I, did not <laughs> I thought you were about to say podcast. I made that. But this awesome. Their fans to the make house. fucking amazing fan art. That's awesome. I would love to see some fan art. That's um, awesome. Or if you just made something cool, we'll put it up on yeah. our Instagram. Fuck yeah! I the love show. to rep our fucking listeners. Let's Probably do up on it. the Facebook too. Facebook, wherever. Yeah. We'll put it up wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a suggestion? Yeah. Oh, good. Um, so this is actually it's a newer podcast. I think there are only like two or three episodes in. Um, okay. It's called Ear Hustle. Have you heard of this one? No. Yet? So I'm intrigued by the picture. It's a really cool I, a concept. I think um, it's actually based out of um, San Quentin State Prison, Ooh. and there. Is okay. um, so Irlan Woods and Antoine Williams are two of the people that kind of put this podcast together and they're both both incarcerated at San Quentin and it kind of gives you a look into what life is like inside of a prison mm-hmm. um, and like allows you like they take uh, questions from listeners so wow. they kind of do like little they're like half hour episodes on how things work inside the prison um, and 
Yeah, I mean, it's all like there's like a media lab at the prison that they produce it out of. Wow. One of the guys is a host surprising. with um, this woman who's like a, um, she's like a, like their sponsor almost. Mm-hmm. And then everything gets listened to by one of the head guys at the prison before it gets produced. And there's another guy that works on the music. So it's all like cool. self-produced from them at the prison. So yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. The first couple of episodes I listened to, I mean, they kind of have a sense of humor about it, but I mean, it's kind of interesting to hear just some different perspectives that about life on the inside. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple shout-outs for this week. Um, again, I just want to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. If you just want to give us a one-time donation, um, just send it to our Gmail account. <laughs> Still need to put the PayPal yeah, link we're on the website. On it. Listen, I'm just one person. <laughs> it's a work in progress, I man. Can't, yeah. If you have questions about it, we can help you. We'll walk you for through sure. it. Um, but yeah. I did have someone be like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I will like, one of okay, these days put a link on the website. <laughs> um, we will have a link for direct payments yeah. for PayPal because yeah. I know some Patreon isn't intimidating for some people. They're it like, is, I yeah. have to commit to what? Yeah. So um, one-time donations are just fine by me, too. If you just want to throw a couple dollars at me so I could get this to you, I'm okay with that. Right. Um, <laughs> but I do want to say thank you to Jordan on Twitter. Um, her handle is at killingmehealthy. Um she has suggested us so many times Ooh, to people. There, I'm always seeing her tag us in things like uh, nice. people will be like, "I need a new podcast to listen to," and she's always like, "Bitchy Crimecast," <laughs> like nice. right up in there. I was like, "Thank you so much." Yeah. Um, and then I we one of our uh, podcasts of the week was True Crime Brewery um, from Ty Grabber uh, Pods, uh, which their handle is at Ty Grabber Pods. Um, we shouted them out because I listened to them a lot. Sure. Um, and I had anything true to do with... True crime brewery. Yeah. Anything to do with drinking and true crime, I'm all about That it. is pretty awesome. Um, but they, like, retweeted a bunch of our stuff after oh, nice. I was like, thanks, guys. We love you. So it's all about yeah. that pod love. Pod that, love. that Podern family, as we like to call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, those are my shouts for this week. Thank that's, you guys. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I love I love our followers. That's a great followers concept. on Twitter. Yeah. It's oh, amazing. Which actually reminds me, I did want to give a quick shout out to Jillian too. This a couple weeks ago, I saw um, it was like something. I, I think it was on Facebook. Somebody put something that was like, "Tell us your top five podcasts," mm-hmm. and she tagged us as one of Hell hers. Do you yeah. remember seeing that? Yeah, I was like. <laughs> awesome. Reppin'. Cool. So, yeah, yeah, I just want to thank her for being patient yeah. because I was so slow to send out her fucking. Um, did you send it up? I, I did. Oh, Because <laughs> I was like, we had so much shit going on. We were out of town. Yeah. People, I mean, I had a death in my family, so I was oh like, my gosh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Her it's little package was sitting on my table, and I was like, it's coming. I'm so yeah. sorry. But it thank you for being crazy. so fucking patient, yeah. you sweet angel. I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we all get it eventually. That's like yeah. our motto is like, we'll get to it eventually. We do not forget about you. There's just a list of things, and it's like, yeah. oh, fuck. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech. Mm-hmm. Our music is by Jason Z, the Enigma. Brr, brr, brr. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> oh, no. Is this a thing now? It might be. Fuck. I kind of want it to be. Okay. Yeah. It's like, you know, two yeah. white girls <laughs> using the horn. Brr, brr, brr. <laughs> Ooh. That's more like it. (laughs) 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 Okay, guys. Um, Um, We're sorry for everything we've done. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, not really. (laughs)
We will see you guys in two weeks. Yay! Adios. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around. As some of you might have heard, on July 20th, uh, 2017, it was announced that another victim of John Wayne Gacy had been identified. Who knew we were doing a story from like 40 years ago and there would still be shit coming out about it? We didn't know. And here we are. Um, the man identified was James Jimmy Byron Hackinson. Um, he had originally been identified as victim number 24. He was 16 when he left St. Paul, Minnesota, um, looking for a bigger, better life in Chicago. Um, but he was never heard from again once he got out there. Uh, after years and years of searching, one of the nephews were finally able to go to the police. And thanks to recent developments in DNA, they were able to match his DNA to one of the original victims from John Wayne Gacy. We like to keep you guys updated as much as we possibly can here. That's it for now. We will see you soon. We are all people.